my name is Peter Harwood. I have uh, been part of this church for the last couple of years, in fact. Um, uh, we joined just at the start of lockdown, my wife and I. Uh, we live just across the road. Um, a little bit about me so that you know uh, more than that. Uh, uh, I used to be a doctor. Uh, I used to specialize in looking after people with AIDS, uh, particularly in palliative care. That was at the height of the AIDS epidemic. Um, and then God called me into the ordained ministry. And uh, I ended up being the vicar of Christ Church Woking uh, from 2002 to 2019. And then um, the bishop, um, uh, I applied to be the director of mission uh, here at Guildford Diocese, and the bishop um, sort of said, great. And he appointed me as uh, the director of mission. So uh, I am still ordained, I'm part of this church, but very much someone who comes um, uh, from week to week and sits where you are sitting uh, most of the time. Um, the church wardens asking me to preach and actually to, um, to come up with a little bit of a series um, said, uh, what would you like to preach on Peter? And uh, I personally, I, I love to um, wrestle with contemporary issues, those things that are issues of our day. And uh, I noticed from the profile that uh, the, um, the brilliant profile for this church that the wardens and the PCC have put together in that profile, you have, they have written, we want to see people coming to know Jesus for themselves and being excited and enthusiastic about the task of sharing the good news with others. Well, that's us. That, that's us. That's, we can't expect the new vicar to do that. That will be up to us, and of course he or she will... Uh, encourage us, teach us, lead us in all of that. Uh, but actually, we need to uh, pick up the mantle ourselves. It's up to us about sharing our faith with others, that they might then come to know Jesus, be excited and share the faith with others. One of the greatest problems with um, sharing our faith at the moment is just what some call benign indifference. And so, uh, equipping ourselves um, and engaging with uh, the big issues of the day and stirring up the questions that we want to answer with the gospel, we need to take that and, and do it. We need to be ready to give an answer to the hope that we have in the gospel. Peter wrote, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have and to do it with gentleness and respect. And so I thought, well, what, what should we do? Um, I thought perhaps the biggest, the biggest topic of the day is COVID. Well, it was when I thought about it. I think Ukraine might come top now, but. And so the question is, why did God allow COVID? Surely we must wrestle with that as Christians and have an answer for, uh, for why has God allowed it? If we are to share our faith with others, that surely should uh, 
get traction in our conversations with others. So tomorrow at work or in your social group or wherever, over the lunch break, having heard uh, the sermon this morning, you might say something like this. I went to church yesterday. The preacher, I can't remember his name, and the sermon, well, it, it was okay, but it got me thinking. I, I, he, he started talking about why has God allowed COVID? And it's got me thinking, what, what do you think? I mean, I don't know whether you believe in God, but do, why do you, I, I, what do, you, do you have any ideas of why, you know, if there's a God, why he might have allowed COVID and start a conversation? I am conscious that in asking the question, why has God allowed COVID, is on the face of it a logical question demanding a logical answer, a rational answer. And I am aware that there will be people here uh, that you don't want a logical answer. Actually, this is quite a painful question because you have personally suffered loss over this time because of COVID. And my prayer is that even though we might deal with the rational question, yet at the end of this you might find some comfort by the grace of God, some healing, some encouragement. So let's pray. Let's close our eyes for the moment. And invite God to uh, quicken our, our minds and soften our hearts. That he might stir us to, to find some of these answers. That we might then be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. I suppose the first question is, is COVID a natural disaster? And I want to drive right into that question. Is it a natural disaster? I read a very persuasive article uh, in The Guardian uh, a couple of years ago now, March 2020, and uh, uh, it essentially said that this is, has been a disaster of our own making. Uh, whether it's been created in the lab, but um, the thesis from this article at the very least was that it jumped from animal species into uh, the human species, so to speak. And uh, their, their analysis was that um, this is, this is crossed the, from an animal species to a human species really because it's been part of the environmental destruction that has caused this most likely to happen. As people have come into 
uh, closer contact with virus-carrying animals, from deforestation, mining, animal trafficking, unsustainable farming practices, all, all of these things have caused us and increased the likelihood of catching viruses and the like from animal species. The US Center uh, for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that three quarters of new or emerging diseases that infect humans originate in animals. And it leads us to the question though, well if it's a disaster of our own making, why has God allowed it? Why has God allowed us, in a sense, to um, bring this upon ourselves? It is a, a philosophical question, of course, that isn't new. Uh, and uh, it's a question that is often summarized by, uh, you know, either God is not all-loving or he's not all-powerful, otherwise this wouldn't happen. An all-loving God and an all-powerful God would mean that these sorts of things would not happen. And I want to look at those two points each. First of all, is God all-powerful, like we as Christians claim? And in making that claim, we need to be careful uh, how we understand this. God is all-powerful, but there are some things God cannot do. God is all-powerful, but there are some things God cannot do. He cannot make 2 plus 2 equal 5. He cannot make a circle square. And more to the point... He has to be true to himself. He cannot be anything other than himself. So if, as, as Christians, we believe that God is a God of love, if a situation arises where he could stop suffering, but only by compromising his love, then he can't do it. Let me give you an image that might illustrate this. It's not perfect, uh, but I hope it just gives us a glimpse into this. My, imagine my daughter comes to me with a splinter in her hand. The loving thing is to get a really sharp pin, sterilize it in a very hot flame, and then dig it out. And of course that will inflict pain on her. But I'm inflicting pain on her because I love her. I could, of course, course, not get the splinter out, but my love would compel me to do what is best for her, even if it meant causing her pain, because I couldn't deny my love for her. To go a bit further... When God created us, he wanted us to know love and to love. And that in turn meant that we had to have freedom. You need freedom to love, otherwise it's just not love. That in turn means we have freedom to do all sorts of things. Good things, bad things, selfish things, altruistic things. 
And certainly that article in the Guardian um, paper was suggesting that actually we had, through our own selfish ways and the way we have treated the environment, have brought this upon ourselves. The freedom love needs is a little bit of controlling power God has given us that he has surrendered his opportunity to always get his way. He has surrendered his opportunity to get, always get his way because he's given us love, which means that we need to be free to receive and to give love. Even an all-powerful God could not have created a world in which people had genuine freedom and yet had no potential for evil. And I would suggest that we wouldn't want it any other way. Some years ago on the radio, I heard a story of a couple called Mike and Melanie Davis. She was a model. She'd just uh, won a contract for Dorothy Perkins. This was many years ago. Uh, at the age of 18, she was riding pillion on a motorbike uh, that was being driven by her boyfriend. And uh, they went round the corner, he drove it round the corner too quickly. She came off the bike uh, and she uh, broke her back and uh, she became a paraplegic. She was treated by a young surgeon and um, uh, actually, the, you know, because of ongoing treatment, there wasn't much love lost between her and her surgeon for various reasons. You can look it up, search it on the internet. It's an interesting story. In fact, she's written a book about this. Fast forward 30 years, and uh, this young surgeon who had been married for 36 years at this stage lost his wife. And uh, sometime after losing his wife, he reconnected with this woman called Melanie. And uh, they struck up a romance. And uh, they got married. And this is what she said in the interview on the radio. Um, if I hadn't had this accident, I wouldn't have met this man sitting beside me now. And if someone said to me, hey Mel, I can cure you. I have the means of curing you. I can make you fit and healthy. I can put you back on your feet. But you would have to sacrifice all the experiences you have had, all the people you've met, and you wouldn't have your husband. She says, I'd have to say no thank you. She went on to say, I'm very happy just the way I am and I would not lose this man for the world. Great story. Great story that human freedom had brought such calamity on her. Such a loss of ability. Such a loss of being a model for Dorothy Perkins and no doubt other great organizations. The freedom that he had going around that corner caused her such pain and suffering and yet she wouldn't have wanted it any other way because she knew love, she gave love, she received love and if it meant that it hadn't happened, 
she wouldn't have experienced that. So is God all loving? Just the second thing. God all powerful, but he can't, he can't deny himself. Is God all loving? The answer is that suffering doesn't disprove that God is all loving. Just imagine with me just a scenario. I know it's an unlikely scenario, but imagine a bear in a bear trap. And a hunter comes along. This is the, the bit that's a bit difficult to imagine. And has pity on the bear. And wants to liberate the bear. He tries to win the bear's confidence, but he can't. So he gets out his rifle. He puts a tranquilizer in the rifle and shoots the bear so that the bear then is sedated. The bear, of course, thinks that he's being shot, which, of course, he is, but not with a bullet, but something just to sedate him so that the, so that the hunter can free the bear. But the bear thinks the hunter is trying to kill him. He doesn't realize this is being done out of love and compassion. Then in order to get the bear out of the trap, the hunter has to push him further into the trap to release the tension on the spring. If the bear was semi-conscious at the moment, what would the bear think? He shot me and he's pushing me deeper into the trap. causing him more suffering and pain. But of course, the bear would be wrong. He reaches this incorrect conclusion because he's not a human being. The presence of pain and suffering doesn't disprove that God is all-loving. It only reminds us of our limited understanding of God's ways. Perhaps a better question that I want to ask today and I hope will remind us of the good news is, well, if God is all-loving and is all-powerful and in giving us freedom and love, he allows suffering, well, what, is he, what has he done about it? Is there anything else that he could have done about it? What's he done about our suffering? Has he just been passive in the face of our suffering? And the answer is no. Far from it. What has God done for us? I hope you'd come up with some of these thoughts. First of all, he shared in our suffering with us. I find this most extraordinary. Most extraordinary. I mean, we, we grow used to it, don't we? But the fact that God has come to be one of us, my goodness, we, we couldn't have expected anything more from an all-loving, all-powerful God if he couldn't sort out suffering because of the gift of freedom and love and because he can't deny himself. The next best thing he could have done was to come in person as one of us, 
not just to relate to us, but to say, I, I too have experienced the suffering that you suffer. It's most remarkable. It is the most wonderful thing. What? The Creator God has come as one of us, showed himself personally to us. Jesus dying on the cross means that God himself has suffered. He has become like us, not only life and all that it has, all the tribulations, but also in death too. And even now, he knows our pain, our grief, our loss, our suffering. Some years ago, someone wrote this. There was a cross in the heart of God before there was one planted on the green hill outside of Jerusalem. And now that the cross of wood has been taken down, the one in the heart of God abides. And it will remain so as long as there's one sinful soul for whom to suffer. It's extraordinary. If God has not protected us from the pain because of his commitment to our self-determination, he has stood with us in the worst of it. The second thing that God has done, or does, is also remarkable. You know, whatever we suffer, whenever evil happens, he brings good out of it. Evil is never has the last word. The fact that God allows evil doesn't mean he's passive in the face of it. He doesn't let it have the last word. There's a great story about the one of... Uh, the Bishop of Durham many years ago uh, was visiting the relatives of 170 miners, uh, the relatives of 170 miners who had been killed in a mining accident. And he was lost for words. He didn't know what to say. Well, what do you say to people who've just lost their relative because of a mining accident? And he picked up his bookmark, a crocheted bookmark, and first of all, he looked at the back of this bookmark. And uh, on the back of all such things as crocheted bookmarks, I'm an expert not in them, <laughs> it looked a tangle of, of threads. There was no rhyme or reason. There was no pattern. There was nothing there but what looked like chaos. And then he turned it over. And of course, on the crocheted bookmark was the words, God is love. As Christians, if we look to God, in all the chaos that's around us, all the threads that seem to have no, no pattern, no beauty sometimes, yet, when we look to him, he has a purpose. We will see it. We will see 
something beautiful when we look back. You know, Paul writes, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you know what the most powerful demonstration of this is? The most powerful demonstration of how God brings good out of evil is actually uh, that, the cross. You know, that, wasn't, that was unbelievably, unspeakably evil when the one innocent person in the whole of human history was crucified as a criminal in the most humiliating of circumstances. And what happened? Through that evil act, the greatest good has been won for us by God himself. That is the ultimate of bringing good out of evil. And if God can do that out of that, then he can do that out of any event that is evil in itself, but he can bring good out of. And so there are many stories here amongst you, amongst us, of how things have been bad, but in hindsight you can see that some good has come out of it. Sometimes closer relationships, sometimes people coming to know God, sometimes others are encouraged because of the suffering that one has experienced but knows how to bring comfort to another in similar circumstances. Sometimes it's building of character. Sometimes it is answered prayer. You know, God still heals. He does miracles. And every one of us will have stories like that about how God brings good out of evil. Thirdly, and almost, I've almost finished, uh, thirdly, God comforts in the suffering. You know, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Justin Welby, he lost uh, one of his, I think it was his first child in a car crash many years ago before he was ordained. And he talks about how God comforted him in, that, in his depths of darkness. And he said it was like um, the, that verse from Romans 8, 29, he said it was like a rock that a, a, a drowning man clings to. He clung to that verse when he was in the darkest pit of sadness at the loss of his young child. You know, um, he's on, on the radio today at 1.30, Radio 4. He's doing a series Justin Welby's doing a series. Uh, he's talking to people in public life. And uh, he talks to them about what they believe. And uh, I understand it from the trailer this morning is that one of the things he's going to be reflecting on is how he has known the love of God through his own mental health issues, depression, which, um, which find their expression in a... In a a deep sense of self-hatred. That God's love means that he doesn't... When he struggles with this sense of self-hatred, it counterbalances that and sustains him through it. Uh, just out of, you know, if you listen to it tomorrow, you can say, 
to your workmates or in your social club. Oh, did you hear the Archbishop of Canterbury? He was a lot better than the preacher. I heard him in the morning. <laughs> did you hear him? Extra quite extraordinary. What he was saying to this person, dot, dot, dot. Get a conversation going. And finally, uh, and very briefly, you know, the most extraordinary thing God has done about suffering and evil is that he's vanquished death. Our, our, our mortal greatest enemy. That now there is life after death. And that life after death, there is no more pain, suffering, no more tears. It's just amazing what God has done for us. So much greater than the sort of, than everything else that we experience. Just extraordinary. This passage, of course, that we had read to us today, I think it's just saying, hey, you know, they died in that terrible accident they weren't any, any worse than anybody else. And what we need to just remember is we're mortal too. And therefore, repent. Shall we pray? I'm mindful that there may be someone or some people here today who are thinking, gosh, I've never heard how much God has done for me. And actually, I, I want to get to know him. I, I want to, in a sense, meet him. And if that is you, then it is that language of repentance is a strange one. It's a foreign word to many. It's just saying... Turn to him. God is inviting you to turn to him. He is there waiting for you. And in the language of Jesus, he's saying, come follow me. It is just a decision to say, yes, I'm, I will follow you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. I turn from my ways and want to follow you. And the extraordinary thing is that God meets us when that happens. When we make that decision, he meets with us. And if that is you this morning and you've echoed those words in your heart, then today you have been accepted as God's daughter or son into his family. And uh, I would encourage you to let someone know uh, here today. And for the rest of us, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us, that you have suffered with us, that you continue to suffer with us, but that you give us hope, you give us a future, you give us 
life after death, and we take hold of that, and we are so, so very thankful. And I want to pray now for those who have suffered because of COVID through loss and illness, and I pray that you would know the comfort of God now, in Jesus' name, amen.